Hi, welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns podcast. We're your hosts, Lauren and Sharon, two friends, moms, business owners who happen to be in prison. This podcast is all about our experiences as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transition out of the career. A lot has transpired since we both took on new paths, motherhood, business owners, and initiatives to serve first responders and their spouses. Sharon and I always had a significant bond, and as life attempted to separate us on numerous occasions, we always found each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, or random texts just saying, I thought about you today. We both know there is huge curiosity surrounding the topic of corrections, and there are so many incredible stories just waiting to be shared. And we want this to be a safe place for you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. So grab a coffee, head out on your walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. Hey, this is Sharon Fernandez. Today we're going to interview Lauren. So here we go, Lauren. uh, Tell me about yourself. What's your name? Oh, my name is Lauren Cleveland, uh, formerly uh, Lauren Hope. That was my, my maiden name. I still carry it with me a little bit because it's, it's a cool name. It's a good name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you want to know? I uh, want to know right from the beginning, where were you born? Uh, when were you born? Where did you grow up? All that stuff. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Calgary and spent my whole life in Calgary until um, I decided to leave after high school and go to university in Lethbridge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I loved it there. It was super fun. I, I was not your ideal university student. I <laughs> was on a- academic probation a few times. Um, Oops. <laughs> sorry, Bob. Sorry, Bob. Uh, I remember I got like, there was a biology test for one day and me and my friend went to the bar to study and my textbook was still in the plastic for the final. <laughs> and we decided not to write the final. We decided to drive to Bicycle and go in a snow pitch tournament. So that was, yeah. And I got, I got an F, but I like, I had an F going into the, uh, the final exam. So I was like, well, 3% and 48% is still an F. So it's still I'll, an F. That's I'll just good. leave. I'll just go now and pretend this didn't happen. And then that back then, um, you called in to get your grades. So my dad, my parents called in to get my grades and he got the F. So and what did he say? They say like, A, A, A is an apple. I remember the recording. B, B is in balloons. And it was like, F. And my dad's like, F as in fucked. Hey, Lauren. I was like, yep. Yeah. And okay, he, made Bob. Me, <laughs> he made me pay him back for that class. So yeah, I, had, I owed him $400. Oh, no. Um, yeah. And I, you know what? I, I really loved the, the relationships I was building and the connections that I had, but I hated like sitting in the classroom. So um, I had convinced there were like, I took psychology. So I um, had a major in psychology and a minor in sociology. And I was just getting bored with the psychology classes. So I asked um, my advisor if I could create a class. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, like, (laughs) I don't, I don't learn like this, like how sitting in a class, 
writing yeah. down notes. I'm not learning anything. And I'm like, I really want to be a practicing psychologist. So I said, can I just like, is there like a co-op program I can do? Can I go work with someone? And he's like, you, you can, but good luck is basically what he said. So yeah. I, I pulled out the yellow pages in Lethbridge. <laughs> and I started calling psychologists and everybody was like, no, that doesn't sound good. I don't want a student following me around. I'm not interested <laughs> in this. And then um, I met this guy one night at the bar. And he was telling me how his sister was the psychologist at uh, Lethbridge Correctional Center. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> here we go, here yeah. we go. Uh, so he connected me with her and she took me on as a student for two years. So I did, um, I administered DSM-4 exams to inmates. We taught programming, oh, wow. we taught yeah. programming to women in um, Lethbridge, which was super, super cool. I loved everything about that. Like they had no programs in uh, provincial at all. Um, and what year, do you remember what year that yeah, was? This was like, we started 2003. Okay. So yeah. You yeah were pretty, well, uh, no, that's a lie. 2002. Yeah. So I was like 20. 20. I was born in 82. So I would have been 20. You were pretty um, young. Pretty young. I just found my ID actually from Lethbridge uh, College. It's, it, yeah, I look like a young child. <laughs> and here I am sitting in an office with like inmates yeah. during, you know, uh, psychological exam examination. So that was cool. Um, and then she, so she worked with um, sexually deviant teenagers and she did marriage counseling. Like she did it all. So, oh, wow. That's cool. Two, and she taught at the college, uh, Lethbridge. Um, community college so I got an array of like teaching and doing ex examinations entering case notes do like all of all of that um, and then for one of the classes we were teaching um, the the students were supposed to look up um, a Canadian federally sentenced offender and write a report on it and then Alicia said we're going to go to Edmonton and we're going to interview um, Yvonne Johnson. Oh, okay. And so her and I did our own little project kind of like, cause she knew a psychologist. I, the girl wasn't there when I ended up coming to IFW, but Alicia and I drove to, to Edmonton to view, uh, interview Yvonne Johnson as part of our thing. And it was like, I was like, this is rad. Like I felt like it was cool. It, it was, was cool. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. as a 21 year old, I'm just like, <laughs> people were like, you know, how was it? Like you sat across from like, a murderer yeah, a right? mur yeah oh yeah yeah and I was like oh this is awesome so as I was leaving the institution um one of the girls said to me oh you know we're hiring here and I was like oh like a psychology and they're like no 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 it's like a a primary worker right we talked about this in your interview yeah uh, a primary worker and I was like okay and I and I'd been doing casework at Lethbridge too so I uh I thought, cool. So they gave me this like little, little write up kind of thing. Yeah. And then they, uh, I don't remember who was at the front desk, but it was like a, a head person. Um, and they said, Oh, this girl's interested in applying. And I said, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I am. And so she took down my address and said, I'll mail you a package. So yeah this is like back when you know like we didn't even have internet in our house we yeah it was 
snail snail mail right yeah we had we had internet at the university like we had email at the university and you could somewhat look things up on the internet but I mean you you didn't because you didn't really know how to use the internet you only knew how to email and find scholarly articles that's like all I knew what to do so that was about what 2000 and what two uh this would have been 2003 like so I'd worked with Alicia for a year so probably like October 2003 oh okay and Um, so Lauren like where in Calgary where did you grow up what area oh I grew up in Minnipur Minnipur and then what school did you Oh, I went to Grandin, Bishop Grandin. Okay, okay. I just, I wonder just for my own, I I just was curious, right? Because it's, yeah, we both grew up in Calgary, but different sections of the city. You're also a decade older than me. I'm a decade older. (laughs) Yeah, I am. And uh, Lethbridge was like a place, uh, a lot of my family like did their schooling. Two of my brothers lived there. So it's just funny, like how close right? it all came and when you were there at EIFW Edmonton Institution for Women in 2003 I would have been there working for a year right so we would have crossed paths a few times I bet you in our life right yes yes absolutely so it's yeah. interesting yeah so 2003 so did you graduate did you end up graduating from post-secondary did no. not no nope. okay so I okay so what happened was I get the package in the mail and I take it to Alicia and she's like, oh, Lauren, this is such a good job. Like, <laughs> federal government job, you have to apply. Like, you have to. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, great. Like, I think, I think like, the pay was, like, 41000 or yeah. something like that. And Alicia's like, that's good. So good. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Alicia. And, like, I really looked up to Alicia. I wanted, like, I wanted to be Alicia, as creepy as that sounds. Uh, yeah um, she knows that she knows that um other than when we were working together at some point she was pregnant and like you she was so sick I yeah. didn't want to be here then I didn't want to be <laughs> <her then>. um <laughs> but she just like she did marriage counseling and forensics and I was like oh this is exactly what I want to do with my life so she was an incredible mentor so when she said this is amazing job. yeah like go so I did I filled out the application made a resume whatever sent it in I didn't hear anything for a really long time I think I called a couple times to find out and then they called and said we're doing interviews next week and this is this is the funny thing to me is like my dad drove me to my interview and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know like I'm 22 years old and here my dad's driving me to Edmonton to do an interview but I'm going to be a prison guard um so I go uh we had to write an exam do you remember that so you had to study yeah. Uh, yeah. women in corrections you had to know like the history you had to know um, women-centered um, stuff so they gave you a study package so you had to study and I wrote the test and then I did the interview the exact same day and I I really had no idea what I was doing yeah. um, and they told me so this would have been it all transpired like October to January Um, I had gone through the process and then the interview was in January and they told me I would likely be going to training in September. And I was like, okay, perfect. I'll, so I, because I didn't do well in school, um, my initial plan was like, I'll finish this semester and then I'll have four courses left. I'll go right through the summer, do those four courses. 
graduate and go to corrections or go to like a CTP correction training program. Yeah. So that was the plan. So uh, did you guys have to do a physical back then or oh, you didn't have to do one? Yeah. You did not have to do one. No, I, it was taken away. I want to say, I, I want to say the crew, the group before me had to. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, like, I know the group before, I almost said her name, the group before <laughs> you, she was like running with me at the, when we did our physical, but then there was a few people in her group that, that didn't have to do it because oh. somebody had come back and sued right to yeah. say it wasn't whatever. Yeah. And someone got hurt, I think too. Yeah. Uh, so no, we did not have to do a physical. So we had to write the exam. Um, we had to do an interview and I want to say there was something else, but I don't remember. I remember my interview though, like vividly, like I yeah. can see the office. I remember the, like some of the questions. Um, so I left and went back to Lethbridge and went on my merry way. And then they called and said, you are slated to start corrections training program, uh, May. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. And, uh, and it was kind of like, and I was like, okay. So when I went back to people, they were like, just go do the training. Cause you might not get the, another opportunity. You can finish your degree later. I was like, yeah, totally. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I packed up my life, um, moved everything from Lesbridge to Calgary and then went to Saskatoon, headed to Saskatoon, um, to do CTP. Uh, what was your experience in Saskatoon? Um, you know what? I was actually, uh, I'll tell you my, my first impression. Um, so my best friend now, I won't say her name cause I haven't asked her if I can, but I remember pulling up to the park town and kind of being like unsettled, like, mm, what am I doing? Yeah. Like very scary, but feeling very brave in that moment. Like I'm, I'm brave. I can do this. And I, I pulled up and there was a, a, a lady standing outside and I just rolled down my window for some reason. It like was like, Oh, I think she's here for the same thing. So I'm like, Oh, is this where we go for um, the training? And she was like, yeah. And the rooms are fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> so we call her the queen and there's, yeah, we'll just call, refer to her as the queen. Cause that's what she is. Right. <laughs> I was like, Oh, all right. Okay. And I, I didn't, so I went and parked and got settled and, um, I was very fortunate. I had a wicked group of people. Um, for three months, it was like so amazing. We had so much fun, but I remember like the first, I barely slept the first night. And, and I don't know if you had this experience, but they like, you had to pass a, a written and then yeah. you had to do the interview, interview process. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a final. And you could fail at any time. So you could fail. And they very much stress that. Like, if you fail, you're gone. Yeah. And I remember like four people failing part A. And we yeah. had, because we were going into BCX2s, we had to get a higher um, yeah. mark. Yeah. I think we had to get 80, 85, something like that. So then, then it um, kind of, it, I, I felt very, very stressed. So the first morning you walk down, it's in like a basement. There's no windows. There's no nothing. Like it's like this yeah. dungeon of, it smells like old carpet. I, like I, if I smelt it, I would go yeah. like, yeah, totally interesting. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I sat in that room the first day going, I'm in the wrong place. Like yeah. I, 
they started talking about like security and kind of, it was very much just like an introduction that day. And I remember um, I had talked about it in the trailer that I called my boyfriend and he was like, there's no way they hired you to be a corrections officer. <laughs> and then I called my mom and my mom was like, I- I'm on my way to get you. I'm like, that's not, ha- like, that's not happening, Lauren. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> So I, I just said to my mom, you know what, I could fail, I could suck, so I'm just going to stay until they kick me out, kind of thing. And sort of see it through, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like I'm here now, and then like made like wicked friends, um, yeah. and we made it the best experience possible. And that's so, that's so good, because it's hard, and it's isolating, and it's hard, and mm. you do have that looming over your head, because you can also fail... Uh, where they teach you how to do restraints and handcuffing. Yes. And then you could also fail the, the physical aspect, the written, uh, the, I don't know what they call it, but it's like an interview scenario. What would you do if then yes. there's another part you could fail where someone's playing an inmate, what yes. would you do? So, yeah. and you're, you're also in front of everyone, like role playing. The whole thing's that, role playing. The whole <laughs> thing. And that's like, out of a lot of people's comfort zones, including me, but it's, yeah. So there, it's like this mentality that you can fail it. And, and yeah, we had to achieve those high, high marks and I'm with you. I, I was never a good student. I was a physical person. So right. yeah. And those, those things stressed me out. I remember yeah, being very constant stressed. anxiety, yeah. constant anxiety. Uh-huh. And I thought I failed part B. I called that's the interview one. Yeah. Where you have to like dig and ask questions and get to the bottom of um, why the inmate is upset or what's going on outside of here that's creating chaos for her or whatever. And uh, I remember thinking I failed it and I think I got like 98%. You know, like you you put yourself in this like, yeah, and I was exhausted and I smoked back then. So like, uh, and we were allowed to smoke in our rooms, like in the hotel. And I remember just like chaining chain smoking <laughs> all the time so um yeah it wasn't it wasn't healthy I mean but I I passed I got in so we yep. graduated I want to say it was like August 9th and started at the institution which was tough like I remember going into the institution and right away it was like yay you guys are here and we need a fucking break yeah because you right. guys had like such a bad summer that summer you know it's so funny that you said that because before we started recording, I told you I was going to message a friend to just, I couldn't remember some dates. And she said, did that happen before or after bloody summer? So that's, and I'm putting it in quotes, but that's what we had called one summer. Cause it was yeah. lots of stuff, like lots of blood. Yeah. So I was like now laughing, which is really quite a a different reaction to it but that is what we called it and I think you guys came, came at in end, right at the end right at the end of it and there was a lot of you yeah too. there there was I there Six, was eight of us eight yeah there was a lot and we we had been used to one person coming in two right. yeah and then nobody and then yeah. you guys came yeah so, and I think you got like a couple people from the max like yeah and that's what you mean like one or two people had one come. or two would come so when and it was constant ordering and working and 
just living at the institution, right? So yeah. you guys came in, we saw you guys as, oh, this is good, like relief. But some of the older staff were like these little shits, <laughs> like they were cocky and they were arrogant. Like when I started, it was me and one other person. So I needed the right. senior staff. So I came in and I mean, I would always offer that. I kept my head down. I listened to all these, like they were old school, but it's funny because they had been there a year longer than me or two years. <laughs> and there were some that had been there a long time, but, and you guys came in and didn't need anyone because you guys had each other. That's right. right. Yeah. So it was a different, it was, it was for me so much fun because you guys had like high energy, right? Yes. Yes. And I remember people just going like, yay, right? Yeah. Are you excited? We were there. It was we fun. We were excited to be there. We, and most of us, I think there was like five, four or five of us that got put on the same crew. Yeah. Um, so we worked together a lot. Um, I, and I was like, I said it before, very confident. And I think I had learned that very quickly um, because our, the inmates at um, EIFW do, live in houses and we'll talk about that in a coming up episode but we like walked around this courtyard smoking cigarettes and you know like talking <laughs> just to, chatting just yeah. chatting right like and building that rapport and gaining that confidence and that's and, that's the the philosophy of it then was build the rapport with these inmates because like later on down the road that's the rapport that will help you yeah in dangerous situations which that was the philosophy that to me personally like it fell pretty flat because if somebody's doing something dangerous it's not like I'm going to say hey buddy like you know stop doing what you're doing like remember when we talked mm -hmm. about blah 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 like they don't they're not interested if no. they're in a state but at the start that's you can uh, gain your confidence by gaining rapport with inmates yeah and no we didn't call them buddy I'm just saying that now of course <laughs> right yeah, like as an example <laughs> as an example yeah and I I I I was on like a high for a really long time like I um when I first had come um I I struggled a bit because my uh my boyfriend I had found out he was cheating on me and I ended up <laughs> moving and then my grandma passed away so oh. I had like within the first month of working at AIFW, I had really significant things happen in my life. But I also knew like, you cannot call in sick. You cannot not come to yeah. work. Like we yeah. were not allowed to, you needed to be dying. Yes, exactly. You call in sick because, and I felt that like, if I'm not there, I'm letting people down. That's right. Yeah. And I, I carried that through my entire career is if I'm not there, I'm letting people down. So I... I went, Sharon and I were just saying, like, I don't even know. I decided to go down to the secure unit at some point, the max unit. I want to say it was after we had uniforms. Um, but I went down to the secure unit and I, I was doing oh, good at that point. And then um, I started to struggle a little bit with like sleep. We had a bunch of us had decided to work night shifts because night shifts were like, way easier than day shifts <laughs> let's be honest yeah. other than like it being hard on your body and your your relationships and all of those sorts of things it was just easier I was young I was able to do it uh there were lots of people who hated nights 
and a bunch of us just decided let's go to the secure unit and let's just do nights and yep. I think at that point is when I started to like have trouble sleeping um just kind of not feeling like myself and so so before we go before you say like get there when you came in was there uniforms or not quite yet no 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 I I watched a video of me like taking uh an inmate and I'll tell you her name later because you're gonna be you're gonna laugh when I say but um much larger inmate than me and uh we had to handcuff her in VNC and take her to SAG and the video I'm in like a yellow polo <laughs> like a little yellow golf shirt and I have on these pink pants do you remember like wow. everybody like I remember Lauren's pink pants they were like dusty rose color and uh, in this video I'm I'm hauling this inmate and I'm like oh my gosh that is so embarrassing it is and then but... we had that incident in the courtyard and um I was in control and I didn't know who was a staff and who was an inmate and it was yeah. probably one of the most helpless moments I had ever felt in my life because people were yelling I could hear them like yelling I could hear people running PPA alarms were going I was calling people and um, I could see there was a fight I could see that there was potentially a weapon and I felt so hopeless in that moment and helpless and I think after that I just it ch it changed you it changed me but so, we got uniforms after that because the, I remember saying like I did not know who was who yeah so the control post of the institution basically is exactly what that is you're you're yeah. in control of everything you view all the uh Cameras. incidents and all the cameras and yeah. everything that's going on so when you looked through that you just saw chaos and you didn't know who's an inmate who's a staff member who's a guard yeah. is there someone being attacked yeah so and there and that camera remember the ca i could i could it was my can you see my hand in the video yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. there's the camera and so that causes zoom in and it was so grainy remember how yeah, shitty that camera right. and i'm like i'm zooming in and out and zooming in and out and like I need these people like I'm I'm deploying officers to the courtyard and, and going so it, at that point are you standing up yes yelling yes. into the into the, the radio. chair is back the chair is back it's hit you're the standing up stop. yeah <laughs> it's at the toilet so stop. at that point you're standing up and you're yelling you're deploying officers but you're yes. yelling into the radio because you don't know what's what I'm also on like the all call the, the pager telling them to back away I'm yeah. and I'm deploying more staff because more PPAs are going off and I'm going is this the right thing to do is this totally. a setup right like our mind goes to is this a setup are they setting us up to get us out there and I mean by us officers um and I I remember seeing a staff member like standing out there like yelling at everybody <laughs> I knew who that was then she went running in and I was like oh my gosh right like it was very chaotic. It was a long shift. I remember and writing. See, I think that incident you're describing, like I was in the incident. So, um, so the PPAs, first of all, are like a personal uh, alarm. So we carried them and you hit them if something, if basically if the shit's going down, you hit right. that alarm and the control post will send officers. So yeah because that incident was in uh 
the evening so yeah it's dark as well mm -hmm. the sun's just going down <laughs> the sun's just going down <laughs> yeah yeah so I know what you mean but I want like you to describe your feelings so your heart's racing you're helpless you're it's chaotic I'm yeah I'm just feeling very very helpless like I want out of here to go out there yeah I want out to go because what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say I was being so interrupted by all the other things like I think at the same time we had a cell call come from the security unit like it was just and I hadn't worked there that long to be yeah. like, and I'm thinking am, am I am I able to do this yeah. And, and someone came you're in, in control. Yeah. Yeah. Someone came in to help me. I don't remember who it was, but I remember them saying like, relieve her. And we had a little bit of a debrief at that moment. And I remember feeling better, but I remember thinking we, something here has to change because yeah. I like, we need better cameras. We need like something to different because inmates wear their own clothes. Yeah. Our own clothes. Yeah. And when you don't know who's who it's it's very very hard to to make it out and not feel like oh my gosh I hope someone isn't getting seriously injured out there and there's nothing totally. I can do about it but hit this button remember I can see I'm like I'm acting it out as I'm, I'm like hit that button and scream into that little tiny microphone over yeah. the call which like, and and so at that point you're also directing giving the inmates direction to back mm -hmm. away from the staff so yeah. that's it's it's chaos, but you're in charge of the chaos. Yes, so yes I'm the chaos ring leader. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's just like a small taste of the things that happen. And you were left to deal with the that when everything calms down, you're left with all that adrenaline with nowhere to go, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and I I don't know if we had like a, a discussion about it that night, but I remember us all and we, we would do this often. So we would have a crisis intervention, stress management occasionally. I wouldn't say we had it every time we had an incident, um, but I never felt like that was productive in, in my opinion. It always felt like, well, this should have been done. Why was this happening? That's right. That's it was right. very much like a management thing. Yes. So we it's, would leave and then yeah. have our own. Yeah. and talk about like remember this and I'd be yeah. like I, don't even, I didn't even know that happened like, yeah exactly we like would we would have yeah we would go there's like four locations in Edmonton mm -hmm. that I could drive by now and have the feeling of oh we used to go there and that was our debriefing site yeah. for yeah. our crew yeah. after incidents which happened every shift it seemed right yes yes we had a lot in a short amount of time it went through ebbs and flows right like sometimes it was like seven days we'd have nothing and then for seven days we'd work 16 shifts and have to stay and write reports and debrief and constantly go on and on with what happened and how we felt and I, we were really really good at it and then I want to say like went down to the max unit and we just didn't do that anymore and then the crews got separated we went to yeah. 12s yeah um we voted that in and i think that was our biggest downfall ever for mm -hmm. most people's mental health because you worked with different people all the time the the shifts overlapped um you could try to do shift exchanges to work with your buddies but they also didn't really love that idea because we were 
constantly getting new people and all the old people wanted to work with the old people. They, they didn't want to work to with together. Yeah. They yeah. didn't want to work with the new people. They wanted to be together. So it was, I found that to be like the hardest. Um, it's, it was challenging, right? Oh, beyond challenging. Beyond Which challenging. I mean, and that's like a whole other topic to discuss, like the, some of the staff that came in, but I want to know what was happening for you in your personal life. Uh, say, after you'd been there for a couple of years. Okay, so uh, I met my husband um, August 2005. We met at Big Valley Jamboree, if you know what that is. That's like, <laughs> it's where you pick That's up husbands, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> where you pick up husbands, decent ones. I'm like, my, not even decent, like freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, so we met at Big Valley Jamboree. At, that was 2005? Yeah, so I'd been in okay. the FW for a year. Okay. Um, he lived in Calgary. I lived in Edmonton. So we went back and forth constantly. And then he, his company asked him to move to Stony Plain and run an office out of our, out of his garage, his garage. It was our garage. I eventually moved in. So I moved to Stony Plain. Um, in the meantime, like I had lived at like the Queens, I moved to Sherwood Park and lived with our other friend. Um, yeah, so I think we moved in together 2006, like right before Christmas 2006. Okay. We Sony playing together. And what was going on for you at, like, at the jail 2006? Nothing. I was good in 2006. I want to say like 2000, 2004 to 2007 um, was really good. I loved that job. I loved yeah. it. I had so many friends. We, you know, went out on the weekends. We planned trips together. We yeah. To like the one girl's cabin. Like we just had so much fun. And totally. I was like, this is awesome. Like yeah. I, I never had, not like, not never had friendships, but I just felt so, um, I had tons of friends, but I felt like this was something different. Right. And we, had a lot, we did a lot of bonding at work and outside of work. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah, it was definitely a good time. We were all, I mean, I'm a bit older, but we were all around the same age with the same sort of yeah. uh, interests. Yeah, so like concerts. And yeah, things. and that's, and traveling, like a lot traveling. of trips and yeah, doing things. So you were good for a long yeah. time. So yeah. then 2007, 2000. still good? Uh, the end of 2007 is when um, I got not good. I had a lot of um, trouble sleeping. I was extremely exhausted. I felt like I really just needed a break. But I, then I had that like camaraderie to be like, I don't have time for a break. I have to go to work. I have to do these things. My husband was traveling. He worked on the oil rigs at the time. So he was gone all the time. I was working a ton of shifts. We had major things happen on the security unit. I started having like bad, bad, bad dreams. Um, not dreams, nightmares. They were nightmares. <laughs> they were awful. Yeah. Um, and I just, I started drinking and taking medication to fall asleep at night. I started yeah. just with alcohol. And then when that didn't work, um, I started uh, taking medication. And I, I would maybe, even with that, the concoctions that I was making, maybe would sleep four hours. I just yeah. couldn't stay asleep. I felt very anxious. Um, 
So that was all over-the-counter meds, or were you on prescription uh, medication? Well, I, I was, it was over-the-counter, and then I asked for a prescription. And every okay. time I would go to my doctor, he would say to me, Lauren, this job isn't worth it. This yeah. is like the things that you're telling me that are happening. I'm going to give you something to sleep, but at the same time, I'm also giving you a note because you're not going to work for six weeks. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I, that's, I can't not go to work yeah. for six weeks. I remember like bawling to him saying, I have to go to work. And he's like, you are so sleep deprived right now. Like, I actually think that there is more going on, but we need to get the sleep under control first before you can talk to anybody like a rational human being. And my poor, my poor husband is like, we're getting married. So we're supposed to get, we're getting married that, that March. So this is happening all around Christmas time. I started like grieving the death of my grandmother that had happened years before, but just was so busy and didn't really think about it. And the wedding coming up, I just had a lot of shit going on. Um, so I call, I remember calling into work and then being like super pissed yeah. that I was like, it's Christmas. What are you doing? We already have so many people off. Do you know how many overtimes this? And I'm thinking, I, I know, I, like I told yeah. my doctor this, but I, I'm not allowed to work. He says I'm not allowed to. And that, that they were good at that. They'd put it on you. Yes. You'd feel bad and you'd mm. want to be at work. You don't want to mm. be off. So, and they made you feel guilty. Yeah. And you also, you wanted to be there to help, right? Yes. Yes. You, you have that. Like, and, and you had talked about this in your interview. Like I, I wasn't doing the work I thought I was going to do. Right. Yeah. I thought yeah. that I was going to be like empowering women and creating plans to help them become law abiding citizens. Like mm -hmm. that's not what was happening. We were literally just like mitigating shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, we were dealing with violence constantly. Yes. And when you talk to officers of at other jails that is not their experience that was our experience and it's damaging right it's damaging in so many different ways like we we left the jail but we don't feel like i don't know traumatized no oh no i i and i i feel like i went through trauma um i my doctor has literally said to me like you had PTSD. Yeah. You for sure did. And he's like, and it wasn't, it was cumulative. He's like, you can't exactly pinpoint exactly when it happened, but there was some stacking things and whether that was like the death of your grandmother, um, you know, th then this thing happened then this thing happened then this thing happened. He just said like, you have a ton of unresolved issues that you have just stuffed in for so long and yeah. have spent time and, and this is very, I know this from working with first responders, we distract ourselves totally. And we say, let's just work more, let's yeah. just work more, um, and help the, help each other. We're mm -hmm. less concerned about us and more concerned about the people that we work with, right? Like making sure they're good. We put so, ourselves last. To a hundred percent. So when did that change for you? Okay. So I was off for six weeks. I thought I was good. I marry Trev, um, to March, 2008 and I get pregnant, um, July, 2009. And I remember specifically being super upset 
we had talked about having kids. Obviously, we were trying to have kids, but I didn't think I was going to get pregnant that quickly. I was very yeah. fortunate. And I remember thinking, how the fuck am I going to go to sleep now? Because I can't drink. I can't take all these yeah. pills that I've been taking. I've been doing this and just pretending I was fine. So I have Madden March, 2010. And that year off was like amazing. I yeah. started like working out. I started eating healthier. I started getting more sleep, which is insane. Cause I had a baby who yeah. had colic, but I am sleeping more now than I've ever slept in my life. Um, I had like a pretty traumatic delivery with him. Like, so there was like a bunch of things, but I was feeling good. And they had called and asked if I would come back early because, and they would give me back the sick time I had taken the first time. So when I left yeah. with Madden, I took some sick time because he was like up in my ribs and I couldn't even sit. So I couldn't work. Um, and they called and said, if you were willing to come back, we'll give you back that sick time. And I was like, okay, great. So I came back in February 2011 and I actually remember driving into the institution and feeling oh this is not good like yeah I remember like I felt like a headache come on the tension in my body was like yeah. instant and I, I was like I don't know how long I can do this for I and I went right back to those old coping mechanisms yeah and I ha we struggled. My husband had decided to be a police officer after we had a baby. So he was in cameras and it was just like, I had, I didn't have a babysitter that would keep him. You talked about this. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have a babysitter that would keep him. So I was driving from Stony Plain to Devon, Devon to Edmonton, Edmonton to Devon, Devon to Stony Plain. Oh, geez. Just because this lady said, if something happens, I'll keep him overnight. I will. Yeah. And that happened twice. It sucked. But I felt like, okay, we're good. Like I can handle this, but I was not handling it. I was, you know, my husband was gone. I had this baby, I'm trying to work. And I just thought, just get pregnant one more time and see this through. Like, yeah. this is, this is your out. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up getting pregnant with my second son and I left um, August, 2012. And I, I knew that I likely wasn't going to go back. But okay. there was conversations with me and Trev where I was like, oh, you know, maybe. And he was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like, are you like, <laughs> but I romanticized the early days. I, oh, I totally. Right. I remember those fun days and the, like, just the way that it was when we started. I try, I, I think from trauma, I forget lots of the things that happened. And a lot of the things that led to me feeling um, insignificant, anxious, um, I struggle with perfectionism. I'm a diagnosed perfectionist. So, yeah. you know, and, the, and being, feeling weak, like I can't do this job and I, yeah. I can do the job. I just, my value system was constantly pushed up against. I was constantly, I was out of alignment with what I believed, mm -hmm. what was happening what was going on in my brain and I just thought I I need to leave and see if I am okay outside of this environment yeah totally. and I wasn't it's, for it's a long growth. time it, totally and it's growth and so now you've got two babies yeah you've got a police officer husband yeah and so how are like where are you at like how are you doing Ah, you know what? After Reese was born, I struggle. Like one baby, I call one baby a purse, you know, like one baby, we just go, we do our thing. 
Um, two babies, mm, that's not a purse. That's like a whole day <laughs> event. Uh, yeah. So I struggled with that. Plus my husband was working uh, shift work and gone long days. Like, and I was really trying to distract myself. So I had, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, when the year was up with my mat leave, like, what are you going to do with your life, Lauren? You better figure it out because yeah. you need money. Um, so and I did decided, you guys move at that point? Yes, we had yeah. moved to Camrose yeah. September, 2011. So while I was pregnant with Reese, I was commuting an hour and a half each way to For work. work. I, yeah. Sleeping at friends' houses. Cause I was on that nine, 16, nine schedule. So when I worked a 16, I would sleep at a friend's house and then, yeah. So it was, it was a struggle because my husband's working shift work. I'm working shift work. And then when I got pregnant with Reese, I just went down, I think 27 hours a week and did three nines a week and worked in, um, uh, what S SD, the SD system. Okay. You know, scheduling. Yeah. Scheduling. Scheduling. And right. Yeah. And I did training. I scheduled all the training. Um, so then, um, a friend of mine, a friend of ours from the jail came to me and said, we bought these um, clothing stores, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And he's like, why don't you do that in cameras? And I was like, okay, I had, I had nothing else. Like this was the only thing on the table. So I opened up a retail business. Um, that what it, it, I started the process in about, oh, probably May, 2013. And the store opened on in November, 2013. So I do that for a couple of years, I really love it. I really love the learning. I'm always willing to learn, always willing to grow, always willing to try something new. And then um, I went to uh, a weekend. It's called Transformation Weekend. And yeah. uh, I made the queen go with me. We had decided <laughs> it was going to suck. We were going to go to the spa all day. Okay. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so we go. And I learned so much about myself in one way. That's weekend. so good. It was just, it was so eye-opening to realize like the patterns that I continued to engage in that were keeping me in this cycle of anxiousness and chaos and moodiness. Like I was moody, like my poor husband. I just look back <laughs> and I think, oh my gosh. And I just started like making little changes and one of the things that I had started doing was journaling. I would get up early and I would have my coffee and I would journal and I just started writing and getting things out that I had held on to for so long. Like I didn't really let go of them, but um, I worked with Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins always says like, put down the bag. You're welcome yeah. to go back and pick it up in a little while. If it's, if you're not feeling lighter or if you want to carry it around, but he said like, put it down see what it feels like to let go of some of these things that are no longer serving you and holding on to. So this, this so that, weekend did that yeah. for me. Okay. But, and what else did that do for you that weekend? Like you sat just, and listened to the speakers and you felt a calling, right? I felt no, not at this point. I, I kind of was like, so in transformation weekend, we have to write down a hundred things we want to do in the next 10 years. And at this point, I hadn't really even thought about 10 years away, right? And I'm, yep. I'm living in every single day as like this wheel of just get through the day, just get through the day. Um, I hadn't created a vision for what I wanted going forward. I had no idea. So uh, when we left Transformation Weekend, I called Erin, the girl who runs it, 
and just said, I want to be a part of this. I don't know how, I don't know yeah. why I have a calling to teach what you're teaching, what you taught me this weekend to other people. So she took me on and mentored me for a year. There was eight of us that went and did that. And I just, I watched people's lives change. I just watched as, and we, we go back every year and do transformation weekend and every year it's different depending on where you are in your life. And it really just like hit home for me in so many areas. Like I am, a, I'm staying up every night drinking wine again, here I am in this cycle of almost like a woe is me kind of. Yeah. And I didn't, the mask, I was wearing a very different mask though. You would not have known this about me. Um, and just kind of not living in the moment, not enjoying anything, forgetting things. Um, so I, I, I started holding onto those things and learning about myself and doing a little bit of digging and self-discovery and realizing like I was very traumatized. I was um, struggling with some post-traumatic stress disorder and I really had to find a way to get myself out of that. So I got myself a counselor. I worked with my doctor and then I thought I really had it under control. I thought, okay, I'm very, I'm creating resiliency. I'm becoming resilient. So, um, and if I want to do anything going forward, what is that? Right. And I, I'm thinking, okay, this experience has to be for something. What I've gone through has to be for something. And I started working with first responders. I started talking to first responders. I started coaching first responders. And then, um, I found that we were, we were, we had a missing link with spouses because first responders are very quiet. We don't like to tell people a lot of things, we don't go into detail. So working with spouses and helping them understand their partners and what they went through, because I was a first responder, also married to a first responder, um, just kind of understanding those relationships and how to navigate them yeah. with grace and love and joy yeah and then yeah. uh so i totally. thought yeah i totally thought i had it under control and then so and what year do you think that was around uh, about 2016 okay so i attend transformation weekend january 2015 and about 2016 i am like in this flow of i know what i want to do with my life i didn't love the store anymore um it was a vehicle to get me to where i was going for a little while but i was kind of out and then November, 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer. I okay. had found a lump in my neck, um, uh, in April and they did some ultrasounds, continued to see my doctor regularly and they did another ultrasound and there was something that was concerning and it actually got quite a bit bigger. I couldn't drink like a can of pop because if I tip my head back, it would like choke me. Yeah. So it was a significant lump in my neck. So they decided to do a biopsy, which me and my doctor, I, if I, and I have that brain that I've kind of, it's shifted over the years, like 5% I have cancer. I don't have cancer. Whereas if they told my sister, there's a 5% chance you have cancer. She would be like, well, then I have it. Yeah. Whereas mindset, my mind was like, well, then I don't. Yeah. So my husband actually had court that day and I thought for sure it's going to come back negative plus, you know, whatever. And they told me at the beginning of the, the biopsy, it was a fine needle biopsy in my neck that we're not going to tell you anything today. You'll have to talk to your, 
your doctor, and they sat me up after the biopsy and said, okay, so you have cancer. And I was like, what? <laughs> I thought you weren't going to tell me. Yeah. I was like, you weren't going to tell me today. And they, my neighbor, because my husband was at court, my neighbor was like, you're not going by yourself, which I was like, yeah, I am. It's nothing. I w almost went by myself. I'm really glad I didn't. Um, so they were kind of panicking. They said it's this, this, um, your tumor is significantly bigger than it was in a month ago. And we can tell that it has, um, so when you have, uh, I have thyroid cancer. So when you have thyroid cancer, it's usually encapsulated in the thyroid where mine had got so big that it basically exploded my thyroid and had, um, uh, migrated into my lymph nodes. So wow. I go through a surgery two weeks later. And then because I had, um, significant lymph node involvement, I had to do radioactive iodine treatment, which honestly, if you have to do a cancer treatment, that's the one to do. You drink a drink and then you kick your whole family out of your house. For a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've never been in my house for a week ever. And uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't bad. I drank it. I didn't feel anything, but I'm radioactive. So what happens is the radio um, active iodine kills all the thyroid. Uh, that's left. And if I'm around someone, the radiation from my body would kill your thyroid. So I couldn't be around anybody for a week. The crappy part that happened after that is I was tested and they told me that I couldn't be around my kids for eight more days. I could oh, be around geez. adults, but I could not be around my kids. And it was hard. Even like my little one, he would like sometimes come up because they stayed in the house, but I had to go away. Um, he would like come up and like put his head on my thigh because they couldn't be close to my neck if they got any close to me at all so that was that was big and if you've ever been diagnosed with cancer or know someone who has a diagnosed with cancer it's very much uh the same it's the same thing it's traumatic number one um i went right back to the just tell me what i gotta do i was very anxious very like but you wouldn't have known that I, yeah. I played it off like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I don't need you to babysit my kids. I don't need you to do this for me. It's fine. I'm fine. Um, and uh, after everything was done and I got the, you're good to go, you're cancer free. I didn't feel relieved. I felt, yeah, yeah I just felt something else is going to happen. So I had to relieve myself. I also blamed myself for getting cancer. I blamed myself for all the stress that I put my body through. I blamed myself for like smoking when I was younger, even though yeah. very much like Lauren, it doesn't like calm down. That's not, yeah, well, that's not, yeah. This is not healthy. Right. Um, so yeah. So then I went through cancer 2017, 18. And then uh, actually when I found out I had cancer, my first thought was close the store. So I did, it took me about a year to do it, but I did it. And now I just, um, I'm a life coach. I do workshops. I work with first responder spouses and I, um, I love it. I love it. I started a nonprofit, which here's the truth. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, and I <laughs> have this awesome. very amazing coach. Who's like, this, this is what we do next. And don't think yeah. about the 17,000 other things that have to happen. We're just going to do the next step. And then, and she's like, and if you saw how many steps there were, you would quit now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so uh, I started a nonprofit. Uh, it's working with first responders, spouses, families. 
Um, I have a vision, a massive vision for this because it is a hard, it's a hard life, especially if, not if, when your partner goes through trauma. If you are a first responder, you're exposed to trauma 800 times more than a civilian. So it's not a matter of if, they, it's, yeah, it's when. when. So it's working with these people to help them build those resilient strategies in order to be less shakable every time something traumatic happens and understanding when's the right time to leave, when's the right time to stay, what uh, working with people to find their purpose after they've left. That was the biggest thing for me. I felt like my identity was gone. Totally. I was nothing anymore. I couldn't be a corrections officer. I was way too weak. I couldn't handle the stress. And that's a that's huge when you are a first responder, when you have to say, I'm not capable of doing this job and anymore. doing it well mm -hmm. and taking care of myself at the same time. It just wasn't possible for me to feel healthy and stay there. So yeah. So now I just, well, not just, I, it's a freaking cool thing that I do. I work <laughs> yeah. in water. It's awesome. It's so good because it's, you know, it's your, you're, you're closing the circle, right? So exactly, you're still yeah. involved in a in, impactful way. Yeah. So we go back to that empowerment and mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're doing. And it's yes. in a different way uh, for people that are very deserving, right? I'm not saying that inmates aren't deserving. I'm just saying first responders are deserving of yes. peace. Yes. Yes. And that's exactly it. Like, I've always gone back to like, what is my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. And my purpose has always been to help women navigate hard things. Yeah. That has always been my purpose. And it, it can, I can do it in a million different ways. But at that, like when I started working with um, Alicia at Lethbridge, I was like, this is it. This is my calling, but it doesn't have to be inmates. It doesn't yeah. have to be um, whatever I thought it was. So it was just kind of like shifting those thoughts to say, you are still living out your purpose and the experiences you went through were not for nothing. Exactly. They're to help other people. And that's ex like, that's a good place for us to close it because that's what we're doing. And that's why we are drawn to one another. And we're also drawn to this new project for us. And yeah going forward there's so much to talk about and there's so many other things we can say so if we can help others in their journey within corrections not in corrections whatever type of healing we're here to say like there is a light at the end of the tunnel and keep going because i mean i'm just about 50 and like i i i feel like i'm there like i feel enlightened right yes yes so, and it's, it's the process in between that, that is, it's the coolest, it's the hardest thing, but it's the coolest thing to go through. And I mean, do I think I'm cured? Do I think I'm, I will no. never go through anything again? No, I, I, I know that I will, but it's building those strategies and coping mechanisms and putting those tools in the toolbox to say, okay, when this comes up, I ha I won't be shaken for five years totally right I will be shaken maybe for five months maybe for five weeks maybe for five days based on the stuff that I've done that has got me to where I am today and watching other people go through that and learn about themselves is like 
everything to me. I love um, watching people go through like a trans transformation, just seeing, yeah. um, going from believing that there's nothing or um, being cranky and moody and all of these things and changing the perspective and resetting the mind and deciding that I do get to decide what every day looks like. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's something that I'm so passionate about and love talking to other people about. And you and I were just like, let's just talk. Let's talk. Yeah. And, and like, I think that you're an amazing being and you know that. So uh, like, I'm looking forward to this in oh. so many ways. It's impactful. Our people need it. Other people need it. And we're, like, we're just going to talk. So I would say like follow us along and let's take a journey together, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and that that's the best part about it. it. You don't have to be a corrections officer to get something from this, totally. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and it's it's reaching further and deciding that, you know, we could talk about this to each other forever and yeah. impact each other's lives, but why wouldn't we talk about it on a platform? Yeah, the ability for someone to say, wow, I felt like that too. Or, yes. well, if she's able to do it, maybe I'm able to do it. Exactly. Right? So, yep. you know, especially awesome. with shift workers and kids and businesses, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you can do this. You for sure can. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Sharon. That okay. was awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you have a second, we would love a review. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns. And if you happen to know anyone else that would be interested in tuning in, please share this podcast with them. We greatly appreciate it. Love, Lauren and Sharon. <laughs>